Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. I was in high school when the Gulf War began. How many of you know about the Gulf War? Uh, oh, well, I'm impressed. Some of you paid attention in history class. That's impressive. Good job. I was in high school. It was the fall of 1990 at that time. Saddam Hussein had amassed a lot of troops in Iraq. He was marching on the Kuwait border. America wasn't having any of it. They began to bolster troops in the Persian Gulf area under the operation of Operation Desert Shield. You know, to shield the desert there. Thank you for that. There you go. That's why the military makes so much sense, you know. So, um, you know, it's always like army directions. You know, we, it's like the, the radio requires two batteries, one up, one down. It doesn't matter which way they go in because we know people are that smart, just one up, one down. So we name things that way. But in 1990, Hussein wouldn't back down at all. He didn't care about the forces. He was flying, pretty much thumbing his nose at all of the different nations. January 12th of 1991, Congress voted for war. Congress is the only one that can bring us into a state of war. It was a little bit marginal, but the majority was that we needed to use military might to push back the Iraqi forces and what the regime was doing at that time. For my family and I, I said, you know, I was just in high school at the time. The funny thing is, I am an old person, okay? So, and meaning a lot of reasons in that, but I can really identify with my geriatric fellows because I, I had similar experiences growing up. Why? Maybe because we were Poe and in the South, I don't know, but... My family watched the shock and awe of the American troops on someone else's television. I remember Wednesday nights we would end you know, the prayer meeting in church and then go to someone's house to watch the news for a couple of hours. We didn't have TV at the time. So I remember that. It was one of the first American wars that the Air Force was really highlighted at that time. This was one that the planes really flew a lot of missions. It was one where the newscasters were on the ground and the American people were really watching the war like a football game. Yeah, and we were there. It's like, man, let's go. We got to get in here. I think that was part of the reason because it still fueled me when my friends in high school were like, hey, let's join the military. And I was like, hey, got nothing better to do. Let's do it, you know. But things really changed for me. It was late July at the time. It was basic training. It's Lackland Air Force Base, San Antonio, Texas. And it was multiple flights that got crammed into the base theater. 
Now, the theater, it, you know, it can hold a few people, but it's kind of like the real theater downtown here, you know, the dollar theater. It doesn't hold that much. The chairs aren't that cushy, and I mean, they just crammed people in there. It's late July, so the theater, not only was it cramped, but it smelled like B.O. But then the reel began, and you know how it does in the film strips all crackly and the doot, doot, doot countdown. And all of the sudden, it was the moment, if you've ever played the difference in video games between third person and first person. How many of you know that difference? Or all of you grew up on first person shooter? Okay, I grew up on Legend of Zelda, which was nothing more than you can see the, you know, doo-doo-doo, you know. And then you get on these first-person shooters, and my son, he's all over the map, and I'm just like, that, wow. I, I can't, I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know who you are, where it's at. But we were in that theater, crammed together, and all of a sudden, the news Remembering the news memories that I had in third person became first person. They had footage from the actual cockpits. They had footage from the tank commanders. They had actual radio messages calling for fire and watching the tracer rounds. And all of a sudden, the whole base theater was in the middle of the war scene. The cool thing about the military that I haven't really found replicated is in that moment, we were together. Meaning, it wasn't just those people on the field, but those were our team, that we were part of something, that we were there. We were the next wave. We were the next generation. There was something so inspiring and so just basic instinct that connected us. It's that spirit of camaraderie, but patriotism, maybe defiance in some ways, of pride. It was a spirit of inspiration that I've never felt. Today, what I would like for us is I want to, in some ways, connect us with a spirit. The church, in many ways, comes to... Can I be as crass to say that we come to just a boring literature lecture once a week? I'm afraid sometimes that as we come together as a congregation, we don't leave with that same inspiring camaraderie of fight, of vigor that I left that base theater with. I don't see many of our people fueled up and ready to go when they leave church service as much as it was like, well, point three was really good, but I think his word study was just a little bit off. Boy, I guarantee you, I didn't leave that base theater and been like, well, I think you should have called for fire about two or three clicks to the left if I was there. Oh, my gosh. I, I was just like, let's get them. I don't care. They're going down, you know. And I don't see that in our churches. And maybe that is our fault. Because I don't think, I, I do think that's what Paul wanted for the people as well. 
And so for us, we have a rich heritage, not only in God, but even more at BBC. So today, we're going to look a little bit in Scripture, but we're also going to look, you know that I like readings from different things. And I'm going to surprise you all today because I will not be reading from the student handbook. No, no, this is not a cause for celebration, okay? Not at all. It was a hard decision to make, and you guys scoff at it like it's nothing. I've decided to introduce you to a new book, but we'll get to that in a moment. We'll hold you in anticipation. What I want to do is I want to bring you to Ephesians a little bit right after what President Voorhees spoke about on Tuesday. Because I thought he gave us such a great charge to begin with that I wanted to follow up because I believe that Paul, this is the inspiration part. He lays forward some facts of identity and where we're at as a church and a people that President Voorhees laid for us. But today, he wants to tell us about some inspiration. He wants to connect us to something big. He says this. This is Ephesians 1, beginning in 15. And I'll just let you know that probably in all of this stuff, I took research and writing or grammar or whatever the flip it was called at Ozark from Jekina Stark. She taught me how to diagram sentences. And then anytime you can diagram sentences, if you want just a super complex, advanced level of diagramming sentences, then she would throw in some verse like this from Ephesians where you have no clue by the time you get through this phrase and participle and phrase and phrase and phrase and phrase to what Paul was originally saying, bless his heart, okay? I think sometimes he gets so caught up in how awesome God is that he rambles on phrase and phrase and phrase and phrase. I hope you're that excited about God. So just going into this, no, it's a diagramming nightmare, but it's awesome inspirationally. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, okay, so this is his request to God, that he may give you, you universal, the church in general, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is really the whole crux of what he wants to tell the church. And it takes him a heck of a long time to get there. But he says, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is wisdom? Good job, guys. Good job. I did hear applied knowledge. One person had enough courage to say something. Someone said one time that knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit and knowledge is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Type that. I mean, wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. 
I was like, okay, well, I'll go for that. But one thing that wisdom is, it gives us truth. And one thing that the Spirit of God gives us is truth. But the other thing, he says, is this of revelation. And Lincoln, in his commentary, he just specifically says that the Spirit is the agent of revelation. This, he interprets God's activity and he enables believers to appropriate that which has been accomplished for them. I believe if we are able to fully embrace the spirit that God gives us of wisdom and of revelation, it will be something that inspires us beyond ourselves. The inspiration of the spirit comes with a vision as well. Okay, I've told the student leaders what is vision. Okay, thank you. I was going to say, man, if you let me down right now. I'm going to take every one of you out back, and we're going to have a little talk here, okay? But he says a couple of things that is going to give the vision for what is happening with the people of God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. So he says, I pray that God gives you this spirit of wisdom and revelation, but I pray that he reveals to you a few things of knowledge. So this vision sometimes comes from knowledge as well. That you may know the hope to which you were called. You have hope. Whenever I think about hope, I don't get political at all, really. I, I just don't. I refuse to. But Barack Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope. I've always thought, my gosh, what a great title. Because to me, it connected me. Because any time that we talk about hope, specifically in God, there's an audacity that we have to hope beyond our present circumstances. If you can't hope, if you have no hope, you are dead. Where do you think a lot of addiction counseling starts coming from? And a lot of homeless counseling comes from? And a lot of poverty counseling comes from. Because people continue in this state because there is no hope. There's no hope out of the loneliness, out of the desperation. We have a hope. To which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So this phrase, I, I'm not going to lie. It, to me, I was just like, oh, we have a hope. And we also have the riches of an inheritance, which is heaven. This will preach so well. But the problem here is this is really not what Paul is saying. If you, have to, if you read this really closely, and Paul is the one, bless his heart. We have told you guys, please don't make major theological assumptions and doctrines and dogma based on very slight grammatical instances. And then Paul does it all the time. But he was inspired and all that. Okay, fine, whatever. But the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In the saints. The reason that this is so crucial is that the riches of the inheritance, whose inheritance is this? I hear like saints, okay? That's what I thought. But it's the richness of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is God's inheritance. 
Okay? That's why it stumped me, because I was like, our inheritance as saints, well, our inheritance is Jesus, heaven, all this stuff. But no, this is a phraseology, and Paul is using it because it specifically pulls back in all this Old Testament chosen language. You are the inheritance of God. You are a chosen people. Okay? So for us, when we have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, one of the things that is revealed to us in this knowledge is that we have a hope and that we are chosen. We're chosen. Why? Why are we the chosen people? Why were the Hebrews chosen? Why was it the Israel race? Why were they chosen? I don't know either. (laughs) We don't know. It's just that God did. And that's part of it. it. It wasn't of our own doing. This was God's choice. He goes on later saying that it's grace that we've been saved. Not It's through faith. It's not a work that we produce, but it's a work of God himself. His choosing is of his own doing, not of ours. Which is always really comforting. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ. Which he raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power, dominion. Every title that can be given. Not only in the present age but also in the one to come. I told you it just keeps going on. We have the power of the cross within us power of the cross the spirit of wisdom and of revelation it brings to us a knowledge of hope of chosenness of power if that don't get you jazzed up and inspired i'm not sure what will i i always i always reflect on on the passage specifically jesus says it to the people when john the baptist he says you know john the baptist has been among you um, but Yet there's even one greater, and you're like a people that, I mean, we play a song, and you don't dance, and we play the dirge, and nothing happens, and what does it take to move you, to excite you, to inspire you? Maybe we have been so numbed by all of the things that inspire awe that maybe... Even the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doesn't bring us that which it should. So let me take us back. Um, One thing I want to do is what I did in the base theater. They connected us with those that went before us. And this morning, I'm going to read a few things for us from the 50th anniversary celebration booklet at BBC. Often and affectionately referred to as the gold book. Because it's the 50th anniversary and it's a gold anniversary. Mainly because some of us don't know the great legacy with which we walked in the door with. This is one in the beginning by Andy Cameron. He said, in the winter of 1944-45... When the inversion of wood smoke and fog lay over Boise, two young students from San Jose Bible College came to town to hold a revival at the First Church of Christ. 
What were you doing in 44 and 45? I wasn't even a gleam in daddy's eye. I understand that, all right? The church was meeting at 18th and Eastman, and Eldon Melton, a San Jose Bible College graduate, was the minister. So that's how they were called to Boise. Uh, this guy's a San Jose Bible College alum. There were, these were still the war years, and although things were tight, these two young students, Oren Hardenbrook and George Rusty Ingram, preached and sang their hearts out for the Lord. When the revival was over, Oren noted that there were few New Testament churches in the Great Basin and suggested that there be a Bible college started in Boise to provide preachers and church planters for the area. By the time the meeting was over, Oren had decided to organize a Bible college for the next year. One thing you can say about Oren Hardenbrook, that boy had vision, okay? Two months later, Oren was in Seattle, Washington, holding a revival for my church, where I had been ministering since starting a small congregation in 1943. I was approached at that time about coming to Boise and becoming a professor at the college. After praying and mulling over this offer, I told Oren I would accept the challenge. It was my understanding, listen to this, it was my understanding the college would not go into debt to pay a professor's salary, but we would come on faith and pray that the funds would be available. The business arrangement was to pay college expenses first, then divide the remaining support evenly among the teachers. This was the method followed, but it wasn't long after I came that I realized living on these meager finances was going to be a problem. The average wage the professors received during the five years I taught at BBC was, any guesses? $15 a week. For additional funds, we had to seek other employment at local churches, or in some cases, the wives had to work to support the family. Why would you come to a place where they say, guess what? You're going to get paid nothing. You're going to work long hours, and um, it's going to be great. Yeah, why would you do that? God's calling. This vision. This inspiration, this, this hope, the chosen, the power. It isn't just for you. These are people that came to an area and said, wow, there's, a, there's people here that don't know this. They need to know that. For, for you, I would ask you this. What is it that the Holy Spirit inspires you to do? What is it that the Holy Spirit wakes you up thinking about? Oftentimes, I feel like we wake up with our fleshly spirit telling us a lot of things. Maybe it's how we don't measure up to the American dream, how we're not as self-sufficient as we could be, how we're not experiencing the extravagance of the world. Instead of being moved and broken by that which the Spirit is doing. Orden Hardenbrook and Rusty Ingram saw something in a vision that was there. The other thing is that I believe there, this inspiration gives us perseverance. If we look in chapter 2, we're not going to go into all of this. But he says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. You were dead. 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and the following its desires. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because God of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, what? <laughs> you know I'm reading right from the scripture here, right? You were dead, but God made you alive. You were dead, but you're alive. You were dead, but now you're alive. This spirit of wisdom and revelation should reveal to us a perseverance. The ability, if you were dead and now you are alive, that doesn't come just because some magical moment, but because of the power of the cross and the power of the Spirit that is within you. It is the power that should allow you to persevere as well. So let me, let me walk us through just a little bit. This comes from... Uh, I want to talk about perseverance. This comes from Kenny Beckman. And he, has, he served here for 60 years in the presidency and a professor and all of this. He said, the Bible college started that fall in 1949. That's when he came. So college started in 45. He came four years later with the usual shortfall in financial support. I was paid $40 a week. It's like twice the amount. Gosh. And he was living so high on the hog. Enrollment that fall was 22 students. Edith Granger was the cook and part-time teacher. Students lived in various homes in the area. And by this time, the kitchen and dining hall had been moved to the basement of the church. I had to laugh at Oren's market skills excuse me, in salesmanship, when I talked to him about coming to BBC, he always talked about such and such hall or such and such dorm. I had the impression these were college dorms, etc. However, upon arriving in Boise, I learned these were simply rooms rented to students in various homes in the north side of town. Yeah, it's all about how you say it, right? Our next big project was to build a dormitory for the students. We purchased three old barracks from the area between the Veterans Hospital and the Boise Little Theater for $19 each. We had to saw them in the middle, and it cost us $600 a piece to move them to a new location. We had to make foundations for them, then get them in shape for the students. Mr. Mays, one of the elders, purchased green knotty pine from Harris Brothers Lumber Company for just a song, and we, and we began making rooms, halls, etc. in the new dorms. What an undertaking. But we did make some fairly pleasant rooms, a new dining hall in the middle of this U-shaped facility. So the girls lived in one wing, the boys lived in the other wing, and the dining hall and kitchen in the connecting wing. However, when the knotty pine dried, the knots started falling out, and there was very little privacy, just so you know. That's why we get wood that is cured. These early days of the college were years of sacrifice. Remember? Inspiration to persevere. 
They were years of sacrifice as each faculty member had to be self-supporting and most worked part-time in the afternoons or evenings. Thus, the pattern was set for the next 40 years of early morning classes with very few, if any, classes in the afternoons so students and faculty could work after lunch. If we had not done this, the school would have died in a short time. Some of our critics would have rejoiced if we had not survived, but we continued to hang on. Do you believe that some of our critics would love for BBC to shut down? For the church not to be glorified. The same is true for us. Right? The May preaching conference was the highlight of each school year. What the heck is the May preaching conference? Hold on. Don't we have one? Just want to let you know that spring conference goes back almost to the very beginning of BBC. When we have spring conference, it's not just some off-the-wall thing. It is a continuance of the legacy that BBC has in the Northwest. So the main preaching conference was a highlight of each school year. And to get ready, we took the little money that was available to buy paint and supplies. And on Monday of conference week, the entire student body, faculty, and congregation undertook to clean the entire building from top to bottom. The seats were theater-type seats that were screwed to the floor. All of these seats were unbolted, taken outside so we could move scaffolding in to get to the ceilings and the walls. It took three tiers of scaffolding to reach the ceiling. I remember coming into the sanctuary after lunch one year to find May Wolf, I might just add, bless her heart, who was just too short to reach the ceiling from the third tier of the scaffolding, standing on a bucket, which was in turn on a chair, <laughs> scrubbing away. Dear May Wolf, was it dear saint? She lived to the young age of 108. Bless her heart. I, I know why she was just too dang tenacious to die. That's what happened, you know? It's like, I will scrub the ceiling. What do I have? Chair, bucket, stool on three tiers of scaffolding. Usually by the time midnight came on Monday night of conference week, the entire building had been washed, painted, and refinished. And then we were ready for the guests to come on Wednesday for three great days of preaching. Almost without exception, we kept out-of-town guests in our homes I can remember one time we had so many guests that Martha and I slept in sleeping bags in the old coal bin in the basement. This was the hospitable spirit of the entire church of that era. Kenny Beckman writes, even at this, to some extent, this camaraderie has been lost over the years. May it not be so with us as well. The other thing that I would tell you is that the inspiration of the Spirit creates for us and gives allowance for innovation. It's one of our core value words as a college, this innovation. And innovation is a real kind of crazy, squirrely word. But I believe it is the audacity to do something different, maybe with the same things. But he says this when we move on. 
in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, here's another key phrase, you were separate. Remember, you were dead. Now you, he made you alive. You were separate. And he says this, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one. God did the unthinkable. He reconciled that which was unreconcilable. The other thing for us in our history, we moved from the 18th and Eastman campus to here with some great uh, innovation, I would say. These are people that are looking forward and trying to figure out what's the next step? How do we move forward? Where's the church going? We've never talked about those questions ever, right? It's the same questions. This is from Richard Ewing. He was one of the presidents that led us through this innovative time, of really coming of age at BBC, as we separated as kind of church oversight to board oversight to accreditation. This to me is really, he said, during my first interview with the ministers, elders, deacon, and other part-time teachers, I had answered their questions as carefully and truthfully as possible. But in actuality, I was really so prejudiced against Boise Bible College, I did not want to go to Boise. I thought the group was so legalistic and bound by tradition that they wouldn't be able to change. <laughs> you may not be the first people that have thought that. Mr. Ewing, way back in the day. Finally, they asked me what I thought about Boise Bible College. I was a little reluctant to say, but they proceeded, persisted. So I finally said something like this. I don't think you're, you really have a college here. I believe it is an institute on about the same level as a high school. I also think your library is shameful. Most preachers have libraries three or four times larger. I wonder, too, if your idea of who is in the brotherhood isn't a lot smaller than mine. This is, these, I really don't think these are ways to get a job for some reason, okay? Finally, I said they needed to upgrade their faculty as well. Only Mr. Beckman had a standardized bachelor's degree. Then one of them asked if I knew of others who, taught, who thought the same thing. I replied that I didn't know anyone who didn't. <laughs> then I sat down. I really expected the meeting to end right there. I was like, I'll bet you did. Instead, they immediately agreed with me and passed a motion to call me as president. <laughs> Sometime innovation comes because you have the bravery and the courage to call what is what is. Okay? So these people that they were, he was talking to had enough insight to say, you're actually right. We do have those problems. Will you help us? A humility that BBC has had and continues to have as well. Just a few more things. But the thing that gave BBC the greatest push toward progress and eventual accreditation was the dedication of all the personnel and our feeling of unity and purpose. After the mid-60s and 70s of Ewing, we could talk about the 90s of the Crane year when Mr. Crane, Dr. Crane excuse me, came, and he led forth in a lot of the buildings. The administration building and the library building were of his doing. 
Mr. Stein came along and helped out. Well, even towards the end of Dr. Crane was the addition of the chapel and the new dorms. Mr. Stein came and helped foster some relationships and get us out of debt and began to build this building. We have Dr. Voorhees at the helm who's been pushing us forward in partnerships and pathways, partnerships with churches and where God is moving and pathways for education. And I would say this to you. May you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And today I pray that you have that same sense that I have in that theater, that connection with people before. You came here to BBC and oftentimes we look around and it's just us. But it's so much more than that. You continue a vision of people that came to this valley that knew that there was a place to train leaders for the church. You would join with the bravery and the courage of a church. The 18th and Eastman Church, from them they created a Bible college, a youth ranch, a nursing home. It's amazing what they did. They allowed the Spirit to inspire them. My question to you is as we look around, we have that same spirit of truth, of wisdom, of revelation to inspire us. My question for you is as you connect yourself with this great legacy you're a part of, a Boise Bible College, what will you do to further BBC to strengthen the churches, and to further the kingdom. The Spirit is willing to inspire you. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.